This episode of the Getting Smart Podcast is part of our new Pathways campaign. What is something you used to think that you've changed your mind about? It's time for us to do that with all things learning. Previous Getting Smart campaigns have laid the groundwork of networks, place, purpose, and innovation. Our latest effort, the new Pathways campaign, will serve as a catalyst for unbundling education to allow for new learning models that are sustained by support and guidance and embedded in scalable systems. In partnership with ASA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Stand Together, and the Walton Foundation, the new Pathways campaign will question education status quo and propose new methods of giving students a chance to experience success in what's next. Find out more at gettingsmart.com backslash new pathways. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Getting Smart Town Hall. We are so excited that you all are here today to talk new pathways. And if you've never been to one of our town halls before, I promise you are in for a treat because we are so, so excited about our new pathways campaign that we are kicking off with you all. So just a little town hall protocol. We really, really want your input. We want this to be a super organic, authentic conversation. So if there's something that you want to say, just raise your Zoom hand to speak and we will call on you. And we really need you to share generously and respectfully. You all are always so good about sharing lots of resources and thoughts in the chats and being super collaborative. And we don't want that to stop today. So If you hear something that really stands out to you or if you have a great aha moment, we encourage you to put it on Twitter using the hashtag GSTownHall um, and then, like I said, share your thoughts in the chat. We also will post a recap blog um, with the links mentioned on the event. So you may see a lot of links that are dropped into the chat. Please don't feel like you need to go in and capture them all. We will make sure that you have access to those um, via the recap blog that we drop on gettingsmart.com. And then lastly, we will include a brief FAQ uh, for the questions that we don't have time for to answer in the recap blog. So again, we want you to have fun. We want you to talk. We want you to share. We want you to listen and we want to just have a really good time. So here we go. We will kick it off with what is a Getting Smart Town Hall? Well, in essence, it's just a place for us to share and to collaborate and to design and to innovate and think about the future together. We want to think about what's next in learning. So during our time together, we will help to build a collective momentum and understanding, which will better enable us all to empower every single learner to thrive and act with purpose, which is our goal in everything that we do is to really have an impact so that students can be better. New pathways, but we're very excited. One, that you all are all here. Um, And we're super excited to have the ASA team join us, who is one of the principal funders for the New Pathways campaign. And Julia Lambert, uh, Julie Lambert is here from American Student Assistance, as well as other uh, members from ASA. Julie, we just want to take the time to one, greet you. And before we get started, how are you today? Wonderful. Thank you for having us. Uh, We're excited to be here with you. Excited to uh, get working on on this really important effort. Absolutely. And and Jean, we want to acknowledge that you're here as well and the rest of the team. So thank you, ASA and everyone else for joining us. 
as we think about the new pathways campaign, we, we really wanted to think about it holistically and we wanted it to be really grounded in equity and equity. In order to do so, we um, set up some design principles or thought of some design principles that were really important, um, things that we want to be really ground truth and as Nate would say, for students. And so we want the pathways to be really intentional for students. We want them to be equitable. We want them to be curated by students. So not something that we just hand to them and say, here you go, but something where they're really a part of the process and they own it. And really the students are on the process and as the adults, we're part of it. Um, and then lastly, we want it to be impactful for what they experience in high school, beyond high school. And we also want to, to have a space and know how to um, be impactful. Yeah. Let me let me just underscore a couple of those. Um, we think these are really important um, concepts when it comes to thinking about new pathways. Intentional, meaning that it's there's an intentionality to the learner, a sequence of learner experiences that links them to opportunity, that links them to, to possible futures. Um, and doing that for all kids uh, doing that equitably in ways that we just haven't in the past. By curated, we we mean uh, personalized or co-authored, co-designed that learners really not only have the opportunity to step into a career pathway, but within a, a, a pathway to really um, to customize their, uh, their journey uh, to some extent. And then the last one is um, impactful. And by that, we mean it, towards contribution, that it's it's an opportunity for them uh, to, to make a difference. It's it's not only towards gainful employment, but um, but citizenship. So these are our pathways, not not just for a high wage job, but uh, towards a broader sense of contribution. Yeah, absolutely. And Tom, I just want to touch on curated for a second, because sometimes Curated means as adults, we create the systems and put them in place, and then we ask for student feedback. That's not what you mean when you talk about curation, correct? Yeah, my last blog on these personalized pathways, I highlighted a, a half a dozen schools around the country that um, are doing this. Uh, some like Big Picture have been doing it since Tony and I first visited in the late 90s. Um, some that are just beginning to, but it's allowing learners to imagine possible futures and then really construct or co-construct those with a, an advisor, uh, a, a personalized pathway that incorporates community-connected learning. Uh, Shani, you're leading all the real-world learning in Kansas City, and many of those learner pathways include client-connected projects and internships that where learners have real choice about how and where they connect with the community towards a possible future. Yeah, and all of that builds these durable skills. And, and Stephanie, I'll, I'll invite you to unmute for a second from America Succeeds because I know you all deal a lot in the durable skills. When we put these sort of design principles in place, Stephanie, uh, how does that, what does that do for a student's ability to really exercise um, the way that they learn and the, the durable skills that they're gaining. Thanks, Shani. Um, well, for those who are unfamiliar, durable skills is our new term for how you use what you know and how you show up in the world. And 
it's our belief that those uh, collection of skills are really at the heart of student agency. And so they put them in the driver's seat to be able to curate their own pathway, to move towards impact and find something that is both meaningful for them, but also contributes to their community in the greater world. Thank you, Stephanie, for that addition. So with all of that in mind, um, it was really important that we come up with these six pillars of what what does it mean to to hold up these new pathways. And so for today's purposes, we're going to talk through each one and we're going to give some great examples and we're going to invite you to give examples. And we just want to create a clearer understanding of what do we mean when we say new pathways. So um, when we think about new pathways, we think of the six pillars of unbundled learning, credentialed learning, accelerated pathways, new learning models, support and guidance and policies and systems. So we'll start with unbundled learning. And when we think about unbundled learner, we have to really unbundle learning. We Our goal is to rethink what we used to think. So we used to think that learning had to happen in the school building. The pandemic and students and everyone and everything has shown us that that was really never true. That unbundled, that learning can happen anywhere at any time Anytime that a student needs it, anywhere a student needs it. And so, Greg, at, over at CAPS, you all are a really, really great example of how you unbundle learning. What does that look like for your students? Yeah, thanks, Shawnee. Great to be with everyone here. Yeah, you know, it is uh, unbundled learning. We try to, to mix experiences both inside and out of the classroom, if you will. And uh, And I like what you said earlier about recognizing what experiences they're bringing to the table and trying to leverage those and also provide them another set of experiences. Some of them are academic within the classroom, but more and more we're trying to find these experiences outside the classroom where, as Stephanie mentioned, these skills have really been learned in the past, like extracurricular activities. So turning school into an extracurricular activity by engaging, engaging these other elements, in, in our case, mostly businesses and other industry elements to give those experiences. Nate, you've, you've been thinking a lot about unbundled learning for our team, but what, what does unbundled mean? And is it the opposite of being on an intentional pathway? It's like, so what does unbundled mean for you? And then how, how does unbundled become a coherent pathway? Yeah, super interesting. I think it's there, there's a grain size question that I think about a lot with unbundled learning is that what grain size do we need to unbundle learning into? So first, we were just speaking about um, all the, the ecosystem of learning around out, and outside of schools. And then there's a secondary grain size around what are the skills that are within all those experiences. And so when we can unbundle to not only the larger learner ecosystem, but then also the skills themselves, then we have a way to reassemble those into viable pathways, uh, employer matches, et cetera, et cetera. Tom, you and I were just on a call. We were, we were talking about how do we how do we unbundle the, the college transcript or the high school transcript into a viable set of skills and how difficult that work is, um, but how necessary it is if we really want to create really strong pathways. So. so unbundled could be new opportunities for credentialed learning, and then that credentialed learning could drop into a, a learner wallet or like a Greenlight Credentials that, that um, makes it transferable. So unlocked opportunity. Um, we'll, we'll come back and talk about ways that, that we can string those um, unbundled opportunities back into pathways, but 
Uh, I appreciate the connection to credentialing. Um, yeah. I wonder, Julie, if, if there's new forms of learning that you saw developed over the last three years that, you know, both inside and outside of school that are new opportunities that you're excited about at, at ASA? I, yeah, I don't, um, I think we, look, we may get to some of these sort of new models a little bit later on, Tom, but, you know, I think the things that we are looking at at ASA are how do we provide opportunities directly to students? So understanding that they are um, consuming information in, in new ways and what is the best opportunity for them to build skills, um, develop credentials, understand more about themselves and their own personal interests directly to them. And so we do a lot of work directly through digital, but also how are we best utilizing out-of-school time providers and partners that are, are working with students um, beyond classroom hours um, to really ensure that they uh, we are meeting kids where they are um, and not sort of sticking to the traditional uh, systems that were built, you know, last reformed and whenever it was, 1925, um, <laughs> that uh, look at the fact that learning only happens between 8 a.m. And, and 3 p.m. We know that's not how the world works. That's not how kids want to learn or how, no. quite frankly, most of them have been learning for the past few years, uh, even if beyond that. And so how do we uh, do something differently? Um, it's really important to continue to push on that. Thanks, Julie. And Julie, I want to. I also want to make sure that I give space to for you all to talk about ASA and how. What is your relationship to the Pathways? Yeah, so we're really excited to be working with um, getting smart on this initiative. And I see my boss Jean Eddy has jumped on as well. I know she was trying to sneak in between between meetings. So glad that she could join us. Um, so ASA is a national nonprofit. Uh, we're based in Boston, but we focus on helping kids um, really starting in middle school understand careers more deliberately and make um, plans and and uh, be able to build um, a path towards post-secondary education success. So really um, helping kids starting in middle school understand their, their sel themselves and their own career identity a little bit better, providing opportunities for kids to test and try through a variety of things while in high school, and then being very deliberate in how that aligns to a post-secondary education path um, and a diversity of post-secondary education paths increasingly. So we have funded a number of initiatives over the last few years, in addition to doing a lot of digital work directly to students, um, things like 13th year programs, I think Tom highlighted one of them in, in Springfield in his last blog, um, work with uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to build their innovation pathways programs, working in Delaware around their pathway initiative, really trying to think about how do we make the high school experience an opportunity for kids to, to test and try something before they move on to post-secondary education, that it's not just about academic learning, that there's opportunity for embedded career readiness in there as well, um, and really being deliberate in rethinking that high school model. So really excited to be on this uh, journey with, with Tom and the Getting Smart team and um, excited to see what comes of it. I, I wanna give Jean space to talk about middle schools. I know Jean, the, the insight that Pathways really have to start in middle schools was important to you early in your tenure at, at ASA. Why, why did middle school matter to Pathways? I think middle school and all of the research we were able to do, but moreover, the secondary research we were able to tap 
talks about middle schoolers as prime time when they are curious, open to new ideas, and not so influenced by what their friends say. Um, they're willing to go exploring, they're willing to try some things. So to tap into that and be able to help them figure those things out, things that make their hearts sing, but also things that can connect to what they really are good at, will allow them to make really good choices, even courses in high school. So many times when students are thinking about what's next after high school, they realize that they should have taken some courses in high school. This allows them to really tap into those things and have a long-term plan. It's not to figure out what am I going to be when I grow up in middle school, but moreover, what are the things that excite me and interest me so that I could do more of it? Yeah, we really appreciate that, Jean. Um, you, you made me think of our friends in uh, Cajon Valley and San Diego, where this starts in kindergarten, where they have immersive um, possible future units of study that result in um, reflection of strengths, interests, and values. So it's really identity formation, beginning to understand who you are and what your superpowers are and where and how you want to use those in the world. And so we love your, um, your focus on uh, the middle grades. Uh, pathways are not just for high school. Pathways are not just for high school. And I love when Jane say, really makes your heart sing. And sometimes we don't always measure that correctly. And so that's when we get to credential learning, which is the second pillar of pathways about there's really more than one way to show student competency. It's not just a paper and pen test. And then all of a sudden you either know it or you don't. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds of ways and the new pathways campaign around credential learning really, really um, takes a stab at doing that a little bit differently. Tom, you want to say more about the credential learning? So credential learning is, is really creating a new language for capturing and communicating human potential. Um, for 150 years, we've relied on a list of courses and grades as a way to describe human potential. And it's just, uh, it's a pretty crummy communication system. And so this, this category is really about reinventing a way for people to describe who they are and what they're good at um, and where they wanna make a difference in the world. So it's digital credentials, okay. it's, um, it's learner wallets, it's uh, portfolios, it's ways that people can share um, who they're becoming with mm -hmm. the world. And it, and it goes back to those design principles of putting all of the power back into the hands of the students, how they want to show up, how they want to show their genius, right. how they want to carry their records, et cetera. Yeah, we, Shani, we, um, Nate and I, it, we're just talking about this on a prior call. And we, we love the idea of a, of a learner record that's curated. It includes verifiable skill <laughs> assertions, right? So it's not, it's, it's much more reliable in many ways than grades or courses, but you can take portions of that and edit them and then permission them, the, the, that record out to interested parties. That might be scholarship organizations or colleges or employers so that you're, you're creating a view like you would a resume and sending that out, but it's it's a resume that includes verifiable um, information so that it's trustworthy. And so it's really a much better resume. And we're, we're excited about this emergence. We're excited that our friends at, at XQ are working on this and they, with the Carnegie Foundation have vowed to kill the Carnegie unit <laughs> and to replace it with a new system of credentialing. Uh, we're excited that uh, this year, we, uh, last month, in fact, we, we had hundreds of learners in your hometown of Kansas City 
earning credentials for valuable experiences, experiences valued by, uh, by their communities. So this is really uh, not just digital credentials. This is a new way to communicate human potential. And our friends over at Greenlight, they're doing some really, really great work in this area as well, right? Yeah, we're excited about the early learner records. Um, and Greenlight has had real success uh, across hundreds of high schools in um, Texas, unlocking opportunity in both college and scholarships and, and employment. But uh, we're, we're excited about uh, the, the work Territorium is doing in higher education. Um, we, we just talked to, uh, to IBM this morning, um, and they've been a leader in digital credentialing for a decade, and they and others are, are working on new record systems. We're confident that in the second half of this decade, uh, every high school and college learner in America will be able to uh, curate their own digital portable uh, record that will help them uh, describe who they are and what they can do and will help unlock opportunity for more students. Absolutely. Um, accelerated Pathways is another pillar. I'm sorry, I think it, sorry, I thought it went back. Accelerated Pathways is another pillar um, that we focus on the new pathway campaign. It's, it's all about learners not needing to have the same experiences at the same time because learning doesn't have to happen on the schedule. And there are multiple ways to get there, whether we're looking at early college or we're looking at um, ex technical training and apprenticeships, dual enrollment, earn and learn ladders. The people, students come to learning in a different way and it looks different for every student, but that doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it different, right? Tom, you wanna share a little bit more? Well, I had the good fortune to, um, to help stand up the, the early college um, initiative 20 years ago and um, it, it was early, early on, it was very successful in the way it compressed time and that many students could make six years of progress in two and leave high school with an associate degree. Um, that initiative has, has continued to grow as have um, other uh, pathway opportunities, IB and, and, and AP. And then our friends at IBM um, and the, the New York uh, Department of Education um, added work experience to it and called it P-TECH. Um, so we're, we're very excited about these accelerated opportunities that bring dual enrollment into high school. Um, the big step in the next five years is to make that a less jarring transition because right now it still feels like a bunch of high school courses and then you jump into a bunch of college courses and it's pretty uh, still pretty disconnected pedagogically and thematically and we, we think there's opportunities to make these smoother pathways. The other area, Shawnee, that you know well is the new career and technical education pathways that are accelerated sprints to valuable credentials, um, as well as earn and learn ladders where you, you starting in high school, are getting paid for a, an apprenticeship and learning and, uh, and, and begin that earn and learn ladder early on. And so we're, we're excited about all the acceleration opportunities and Hope to see by the end of this decade that all learners have really good access um, into a variety of accelerated um, pathways to degrees and credentials. 
Yeah, and more and more students, and I invite anyone who wants to speak on this as well to unmute, but more and more students are, are going that way and really recognizing that just because you take one route doesn't mean the other one isn't as good or it's not a one one size fits better than the other. It's kind of just whatever is personalized best for that student. And you mentioned the career and technical aspect, um, which in some cases, and historically are in the past, had a stigma to it. But as people are becoming more familiar with what that really can do for students and the credentials that they can earn and the, the high levels of technology that are involved and the high levels of learning, um, people are really seeing all of these different pathways as uh, a viable option. So next, we want to talk about the new learning models. Um, it's new learning models. It's it's really, you know, something that is important. And it just means that one size doesn't fit all. It, one size fits one, <laughs> but we need to expand our definition of what learning looks like. And that could be a micro school. That can be kind of anything you want to try out that works best for students. Um, I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Julie. Uh, what are your thoughts around the, the new learning models pillar of the Pathways campaign? So really excited about this. We're seeing some um, really interesting new models pop up throughout the country that I think we need to um, raise up and, and learn more about so that they can be replicated. I guess one of the questions I had for, for Tom and for you, Shani, as we're thinking about them is uh, one of the things that constantly comes up in some of these new learning models is how we're prioritizing issues of equity. Because a lot of the models that are popping up might have entrance requirements or things that are um, barriers to access because um, education attainment has been reached much earlier in a student's career. And so how are we ensuring equity in some of these learning models and, and really prioritizing that I think is, is um, a big area of, of concern, but something that, you know, sort of exciting to look at. Um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of um, it, uh, good things happening as people think much more holistically about what experiences are from a student perspective, um, caring less like who is going to fund it from a Department of Labor, Department of Education, CTE, you know, general ed pot of funds, but really looking at it from a student perspective, how does a student get all of the skills that they need to be successful in, in education and then ultimately the workforce um, and putting that lens on it. I, we, I think we're seeing some good things popping up throughout the country. So, um, you know, good work happening in Delaware in this space. Um, they've had a really real focus on that for a number of years um, and have built out some pathway models at the state level uh, and uh, really good examples. <laughs> Although on a small scale, so it's the state of Delaware, um, still some good learnings uh, happening there that I think we can we can emulate. Yeah, and before we weigh in, I want to. Yeah, sorry, Tom. Go ahead. Well, I I want to highlight uh, some of the XQ schools. Our one of our favorites is Purdue Polytech in um, Indianapolis. So we love that. It's a new architecture for high school that combines skill sprints and projects. So kids are doing um, individual competency-based personalized skill sprints, and they're engaging in community-connected projects. So every learner and every faculty member has a an individualized schedule. So that's a great example of an, a new architecture for a high school built around a set of competencies. You know, Tony, you're working on a new book on, on, on mastery-based or competency-based learning. Uh, any new models that you're excited about that you want to highlight here? There are no new models, Tom. Ones, in fact, you've already highlighted 
very successfully. I think the challenge is what we're seeing is innovation at the margins. And we still, as we know, have the big bears in the room of the state testing and, and college admissions. We at the Mastery Transcript Consortium, as you know, are trying to tackle a new kind of transcript. But beyond that, um, I think the pressure is going to have to come from business. I've been talking with Tim Taylor at America Succeeds. He and other business folks are really beginning to see the light that uh, education has to move towards a competency-based or proficiency-based approach. So I think the more we can develop collaborations with business, I noticed that's been a cornerstone of the success of the CAPS program, is having uh, business cheerleaders in local communities. So that's my insight at the moment. Appreciate that. And Josh, you you highlight um, a lot of new models. So aloha over there in Hawaii. What, uh, what, what do you want to add about new models and why is it such a focus for you? Um, thanks, Tom. Um, for me, the highlights come as a result of hosting my podcast, the What School Could Be podcast. And I'm um, just to give you a very quick example, um, Tom, um, as a result of this work, I became aware of something called the Pineapple Academy <laughs> here in Honolulu. Um, as it turns out, this was a COVID pivot on the part of several teachers at one particular elementary school, public school. And they realized that there were many parents who were actually not trying to avoid having their kids be back in school in person, but they were actually becoming quite intrigued with a blended learning model. Um, and so as a result of that, Pineapple Academy, long story short, is a consortium of 25 schools now that are all um, pitching in to create a blended learning model. And it's kind of um, hub and spoke. It's There's a one school that's the hub. So I'm, I'm stoked by this because it's not avoidance. It's actually locking in on a different way for parents and their kids to engage with this thing we call school. So, yeah. Last week I wrote about um, a, a, a lot of schools that popped up during the pandemic are really um, pods and micro schools that, that are a, a cooperative that sit on top of an online school. Um, I think we're going to see continued growth in that category of really personalized uh, schools that um, add a lot of flexibility for families. So uh, I think this is a, a category where we're going to see renewed interest for the, the, uh, the whole of this decade. Um, and in many cases, it's going to be around helping learners create personalized pathways. Yeah, which will require what our next pillar is support lots of support and lots of guidance and we mentioned that in the beginning when we were talking about you know when we we're talking through the poems but learners can't do this on their own they can certainly do it but they need the support and the guidance to kind of you know navigate their way through it really it does take a village and so with good and strong advisory systems to help learners explore their careers but also build their social capital we need to help them to really reach their potential. We need to help them increase their sense of agency and belonging. And we need to link all of this back to pathways. And so that's what support and guidance is. And I know um, uh, Tony or Julie, you all have some, some good thoughts around support and guidance systems as well. So really interested in getting your feedback. Julie, I'll start with you. I don't know, necessarily know if we've seen a lot new in the support and guidance <laughs> space. I think what we are looking to figure out is what are the opportunities to help kids um, navigate differently um, beyond either through, through high school or into post-secondary education. And the reality is that counselors 
teachers, parents, students don't have the resources they need in, t- in order to do that well at the moment. Um, but it just doesn't exist, right? There is uh, a growing um, field of post-secondary education credentials and pathways that are sometimes hard to decipher, understand, understand the value of how do you effectively navigate to that. And so what we are seeing is um, students are still defaulting to what they know because it's an unknown entity, but even though it may not necessarily be the right fit for them. So how do we disrupt that a little bit um, and uh, bring sort of both more awareness and better understanding of value of those post-secondary credentials so that there is better counseling and navigation. Um, I think there's a lot of room to go in that space and we're not quite there yet, um, but we certainly see is a, a huge area of need. Our, our vision is that every learner, as Nate said, every learner's got a, a pathway coach and we hope it's an advisor and an algorithm that work together to give personalized and localized um, pathway advice. So. This feels like there's both structural staffing and structures as well as systems um, opportunities in both high school and college. And speaking of systems and policies and networks, everything has to work together, which is like kind of the the building block for new pathways. The goal here is to create this foundation where everything is unbundled. There's all this support and guidance, but now we have to make it scalable. And that's where we have to really focus on the policies, the systems, the networks in order that, for that to happen because learning is better together. Um, so this is all around how do we really bring pathways to scale, uh, whether no matter what the platform is or the network, it can be around technical assistance or curriculum networks or diploma networks, et cetera. We need, we need these systems in place in order for pathways to thrive. Um, so Tom, I'll let you say a little bit more on this, but how do we really take this campaign and show people how to bring pathways to scale? Yeah, this is uh, definitely better together, Johnny. Um, <laughs> this is, um, we think Kansas City is a great example of, of 30 systems working together to build community agreements that unlock opportunities uh, for youth. So we think that's a terrific example. So regional uh, networks, uh, we talked about PTECs earlier. Uh, there's probably 300 PTECs around the world that that work together uh, to, to support the new learning models. So we think school networks are super important. And the last category that I'd love to have uh, Judy um, or Jean, uh, Julie uh, weigh in on it just State policy really matters in this category of how pathways are initiated and then how high school connects to college. So Julie, any state policies in particular that you wanna highlight? Yeah, I mean, there are a network of of states that are doing it fairly well. A lot of them spurred by um, the new schools for, for youth grants a number of years ago. Um, Massachusetts has a pretty good pathways program. Um, I believe Tennessee is, has, has done some really good work. Um, Delaware, as I mentioned earlier, again, really well coordinated. And I think one of the things that we tend to forget when we're talking about high school education is the role that I think someone mentioned earlier, that business needs to play in all of this. And what, how are we ensuring that they are an active solution provider in a lot of this work and are not just sort of sitting at the edges pointing at a problem that 
that they want everybody else to solve, but actively engaged in, in ensuring that there are work-based learning experiences, ensuring that they are informing, um, you know, curriculum development or uh, that will align with their industry needs or providing mentorship. And so, uh, you know, so kids can build social capital. How are we making sure that all of those pieces align? Um, state partners tend to do that uh, fairly well and being able to sort of use their bully pulpit to pull in the necessary players. Um, so we may need to make sure that, that that is happening across this. And so as we think about the New Pathways campaign and the pillars, we want to know from your perspective, and we invite you to unmute, um, or you can raise your hand and we'll call on you, whatever works best for you. But we want to think about these four questions. Uh, one, what does success look like when New Pathways are fully implemented? Where are you focused, like in your work, what's missing from the conversation that you haven't heard, but you wish you had? Um, how do learners truly own their pathways? And then how do we create pathway buy-in for parents, which is one of our most important stakeholders? So I'll leave these questions up for just a moment, and then I'll take them down just so we can just be in full community with each other. But just curious, and feel free to unmute to answer any of these that you would like, um, but does anyone have any kind of burning answers for any of these? And again, please feel free to unmute. Thank Johnny, you. I, I was thinking about this learners own their own pathway. And it seems like there's so many barriers to that because everything is out of their control. So we talked a little bit about green light um, as a way to document, but that's not necessarily choosing the pathway. So within schools and districts, there are pathways that a student can choose. So I can see that within the school. But then when we talk about the out of school, traditional school, so the ecosystem of learning around, that's a harder thing to navigate. And so I'm thinking a little bit about uh, Chicago cities of learning, where there's a whole ecosystem that's available in one place for students to navigate and earn badges and figure out other opportunities for learning outside of their normal traditional school. So in order for learners to own their pathway, it seems that we need to have a, a frictionless and seamless way for them to see opportunity and then put that opportunity back together in a way that makes sense for them um, and connect it to careers, et cetera. Yeah. Thank you, Nate. Is, has anyone started that work of just kind of just unbundling those experiences, allowing students to learn in different places? Is anyone doing that kind of work that you um, would like to speak to? Um, this is this is Josh in Honolulu again. I just want to jump in really quick here because this I'm looking at these four awesome questions and thinking, do I know anyone who's actually checked all four boxes at this point? And I, I love the mental exercise of going through that and thinking it through. Um, there is a charter school. Our charter schools here in Hawaii are publicly funded, but not fully. So they do have to raise money um, to cover the difference. There is one here that's four years old now called Dreamhouse Academy. And they are fully focused on two pillars. One is identity and the other is leadership. Um, so, you know, completely fulfilling the exploration of your identity while you're on a pathway to leadership. And it feels like they've checked all four of these boxes and they've been a middle school up to this point, but their very exciting moment is coming up here in the next 18 months. They've actually secured, a, I think it was a $23 million public municipal bond 
that's going to allow them. It's the first time it's ever been done in Hawaii to use that kind of funding to build a high school. But the high school is actually going to be a five-story building um, and the bottom floor are going to be organizations, uh, businesses, architectural firms, and the like that are going to participate with the school to provide inter internships and things like that. They're also an unruler school, which means that the kids are charting, they're, they're recording their own pathway of learning. Cool. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Greg, I think we need to go see that. <laughs> yes, please come, come. That, that sounds like a new CAPS uh a new cap site. Hey, Victoria, um, Victoria's a new member of the Getting Smart team. She helped to create uh, a super cool um, pathway high school in Houston, one of our favorites called Energy um, High. Um, uh, I wonder if you could comment on, on uh, when we think about a, a niche pathway, you know, a really focused pathway, um, how to help learners make a good decision about that pathway, how to help parents get comfortable with that pathway. What what would you learn at Energy about um, sort of owning a, a discrete pathway like that? Some of the things that we learned were that um, our biggest advocates and advertisers were our parents. So we would get our parents in any and every way possible. And then once they bought in, they just spread it like gospel to other parents so that they could understand. And then we made sure that the freshman year, even the other students um, uh, were instrumental in recruiting other students. So when we had tours, they were student led, but also that freshman year exposing students to um, you, why you may not have an internship as a freshman. Here are seniors that have internships in the energy industry. Um, here are different field trips to Halliburton. Here are field trips to solar panel farms so that they could see that their learning was different. And then that um, also just they took that back home to their parents and shared that as well. So those two key pieces, that parent buy-in is huge. And then also that student buy-in, because sometimes we have you know students that just attended school because that's where our uh, mom and dad signed me up for, but then they, that energy grew once they knew they were there and they saw all of the different things that they were exposed to. Victoria, I, um, I thought I was in a, a medical pathway until my dad got, uh, got me a job as an orderly. And I decided about three hours into it that I hated it. I didn't want to spend my life in hospitals. What, what happened, what happens when a learner after a work experience as a sophomore or junior decides they don't want to be on the energy path. Is that a downside to having a high school that has a single focus? How, how do you, how do you deal um, with that? I didn't think so because even as a Dean, um, I did still work with students for college um, and life after high school. And so while they may not have been focused on energy and engineering, we were like, oh, how can you use the engineering process that you learned, that design process and what you want to do in the medical field? And honestly, it encouraged us because when we saw that there were, you know, certain students that weren't into that one particular path, it's like, okay, how can we connect energy to medicine? How we can connect energy into human resources? So it even required us to expand the internship opportunities we have for students. So at first, um, we, you know, we just use it as a learning opportunity because it is, it's a hard sell. My dad also was very, um, he was pro-engineering until <laughs> he couldn't, he didn't have a choice because I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> oh, I, I hear that as, as a, uh, as a being trained as an engineer uh, for my initial career. 
Um, in, in closing, I wonder if Jean or Julie have, what are the big questions you think about in Pathway? What, what do you hope we provide answers to as we work together on this campaign? Maybe I'll, I'll jump in and then Jean can, can close it out. I, I guess one of the questions I had, and maybe this is a good question for Victoria, is um, one of the challenges we see, particularly when we talk about uh, starting these conversations much earlier, is um, student or parents that sort of shy away from this idea of, I'm going to pick a path for my child in you know sixth grade. So how do we shape the conversation that this is about broadening opportunity, not right. about narrowing to a very specific skill set that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life? So I think that's sort of when it comes to parents, that is, I feel like, a challenge that we need to figure out how to um, you know, change the narrative on that this is really about broadening opportunity, not limiting, uh, limiting students. Um, because we know that if kids don't make these no. choices or don't see these opportunities, they start to foreclose options. And that's certainly not what we want to be doing. Yeah, Julie, that seems super important as we introduced, um, you know, non-traditional pathways into the options for young people, right? Um, so Jean, what, what would you add to that? Um, I would follow on to exactly what you're talking about, Tom, and that is that parents, I think, need a way or we need to find a way to show them that all pathways are viable, worthwhile, um, successful, and that you don't have to have a college degree in order to have a wonderful, fulfilling career. And I think that is the biggest mountain to climb when we talk about how do you expose young people, but also their parents to pathways, because yeah. I still think that many of us believe that um, a college degree is, is, you know, that's how you fulfill the American dream. And I think there are many ways to do that. How do we open up that conversation so that more and more people see the legitimacy of other pathways? Yeah, I love that, Gene. A, a, a bunch of us... Uh... Getting Smart jumped right to the uh, the the career. Um, what do they call it? There's a career accelerator, a middle school um, career lab in Cajon Valley that's sponsored not only by the school district but uh, San Diego Workforce Partnership, and it's a two generation model, as Nate described in chat, where parents and young people can go in and 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 have immersive experiences around possible futures and then think about the pathway that connects you with that possible future. And for many of the adults that bring uh, young people to career centers, it's the first time anyone has ever asked them, what, what's your possible yeah. future and, and how might we help connect you with opportunity? And so Nate, that, that might be part of the answer is more, more two generation, three generation opportunity, because we're all going to have to be on this earn and learn ladder, reconsidering uh, possible futures and upgrading skills. Um, Michelle Reese came on a few months ago and talked about long life learning uh, and reminded us that we're all going to be on this journey. So more two and three generation learning, Nate. Yeah, well, I just want to thank everyone for the conversation. Marcus saw your comment and you're correct. It is all about identity and impact and purpose. And by using that sort of terminology, we make the conversation more accessible. So thank you for those thoughts. 
And thank you for everyone for joining us today. And we want you to be great contributors on this journey with us. And so if you would like to contribute um, Pathways-related content, please send it to editor at gettingsmart.com. Please also engage with us on social media using the hashtag New Pathways um, hashtag. And please retweet generously. And most importantly, start thinking about implementing new pathways in your district or community or whatever your touch point is um, over these next couple of years. So again, thank you for joining us. We will continue to engage. Uh, please continue to to be in community with us as we have these new pathways conversation to help students experience what's next. Thank you for listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. The New Pathways campaign serves as a catalyst for unbundling education to allow for new learning models that are sustained by support and guidance and embedded in scalable systems. The New Pathways campaign will showcase how learners can shine as difference makers and learning curators when opportunities are intentional, equitable, and personalized. Find out more about New Pathways at gettingsmart.com backslash new pathways. Thanks to ASA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Stand Together, and the Walton Foundation for their support in this campaign.